folks. Welcome to episode 18 of The Herd. I'm David Shepard, MLA for Edmonton City Centre, proud new Democrat, and it's been another exciting week. Uh, Things have been heating up as we're rolling into the new legislative session that's going to be starting next Tuesday, Speech from the Throne, new budget dropping next Thursday on the 27th. So lots of things happening, and the government seems to be moving in a lot of areas. So this week, we on The Herd, we're going to talk about a few things that have been happening. So we had the release of the Ernst & Young Review of Alberta Health Services. I've talked about, about some of the impacts, but there are some specific impacts in some of the recommended surgeries that the government is looking at delisting or making no longer available with public funding that specifically affect women. So today I've got, I have a couple of women who come in to speak about their experiences seeking some of these surgeries and some of these things in the healthcare system, along with our critic on uh, women's issues, Janice Irwin, the MLA for Edmonton Highlands Norwood. And they're going to talk about those surgeries and some of the other impacts that we're seeing from decisions of this government, how they affect women disproportionately. We're also going to take a look back at uh, the week that was and some of the events that happened there. We had a big announcement this week about education funding, a brand new education model moving away from per student funding and concerns that that's going to make it a lot harder to track what money government is putting in and suspicions that they're using this as a way to try to hide further cuts. So we're going to talk a bit about that. Also going to talk a bit about pensions. So you might have heard there's been a lot of talk about this, whether it's the UCP's government's interest in looking at maybe establishing Alberta's own pension plan and taking away the dollars that Albertans have invested in the Canada pension plan and potentially putting them at risk in a provincial plan instead. And also talking about some major changes that the UCP rushed through the legislature this past fall that had some very serious impacts on public sector pensions here in the province of Alberta with basically the government seizing control without any discussion or consultation with those workers. So off the top, we're going to talk about women's health. Now, I think one of the challenges we face when we're dealing with a complex system like the healthcare system is when you have decisions that are made only looking at the bottom line or just looking at where you can save costs, they don't capture some of the complexities that are involved in some of these things, the effects it might have on patients, and indeed the effects it might have on particular communities and marginalized individuals. So here's a conversation with two women who've accessed some of these particular surgeries that the government is looking at defunding, along with our critic for women's issues, Janice Irwin, talking about what the impacts of some of these government decisions could be for women's health in the province of Alberta. Excellent. Well, uh, I am here with uh, with a few folks. I have Janice Irwin, who is our MLA for Edmonton Highlands Norwood and our critic on women's and LGBTQ2S plus issues. Hi, Janice. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. And Janice has brought a couple of guests in with her today. We have uh, Jana Havman and Shannon Belanger. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Excellent. So you guys were just out and with, uh, with our leader, Rachel Notley, and you were talking to the press about some concerns with women's health issues. Can you tell me a bit, uh, Janice, can you tell me a little bit about uh, what the concerns are here? Yeah, absolutely. I can start and then I can have Shannon and Janice share their stories because they both have really powerful stories about how these changes will impact them. So essentially, in a nutshell, uh, Ernst & Young has uh, done a review of, of Alberta Health Services and in their report on around page 82, they mention a number of uh, surgeries that are of, quote, limited clinical value and uh, some of the surgeries on that list absolutely disproportionately impact women or are primarily women. So for instance, uh, tubal ligation, uh, breast reduction, and another one that we talked about was uh, carpal tunnel, which 
as uh, Rachel just talked about, predominantly impacts women. And so um, when we when we first shared this story, probably a week or two ago, we were just inundated by stories from women who said, this is absolutely uh, unacceptable. These are medically necessary surgeries. And for this UCP government to suggest that they're not is, uh, is, is should should anger all of us truly. And it has. Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, we had the Ernst Young report. It was commissioned by the UCP. They've accepted these recommendations. They've passed them on to AHS and said, figure it. You've got 100 days to figure out how you're going to make these happen. And in there on page 82, you said, is it talks about, yeah, procedures of limited clinical value. In other words, we're not really sure these are worth paying for and doing for Albertans. So I know, uh, Shannon, Janet, you have both uh, been been folks who have, uh, have uh, made use of oh, a so Jana Shannon, you are both people who have had some of these surgeries or in line for. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, about your situations and kind of what your concerns are if the government is looking to move in this direction? Well, absolutely. Um, so for I'm Jana. My, uh, my story is that uh, I've had uh, three beautiful children, all by C-section. And uh, so in the very um, in the last C-section I had, I did some research be, uh, about tubal ligations and found out that that was something that I could possibly um, have. Um, they're not for everybody, but they are. Uh, they make a significant difference to birth control and it means you get off hormones and things so like that. So for those that are unfamiliar, tubal ligation yes. is, is done for what reason? Tubal ligation is done to prevent pregnancy. So it's, um, and for other reasons as well, okay. but it's basically you're getting your tube snipped. Okay. So gotcha. it's, it is an invasive uh, procedure. Um, so at the conclusion of my C-section, uh, the doctor asked me if I wanted to go ahead. And since everything had gone well in the pregnancy, I, we went ahead. Um, it was only after that I learned that uh, because of the C-sections, I probably wouldn't be able to carry another baby to term. My body just, my body was uh, just unable to do that. Uh, certain damage that C-sections cause, um, it would be dangerous for me to ha- to be pregnant again. So. Um, that's uh, it, it's made a huge difference in my life. It's not something I have to worry about. And Shannon, what's your experience been? Well, I'm kind of in the midst of the experience because I am about to have my reduction, breast reduction surgery on April 20th. So at this point, I don't know whether or not it's even going to be covered um, and um, if it's going to be canceled, what my options are. And that is an incredibly um, stressful situation to be in. Um, This is a surgery that I've required for most of my adult life. Um, But after consulting with um, my doctors, um, had been told that it was probably best to wait until after I had children, after I was finished breastfeeding, because my um, breast tissue could grow back. And so I made the choice to not have the surgery more than once. Um, There may be a medical necessity for it down the road. It all depends. And some women, unfortunately, require it multiple times in their life. So I have waited all of these years to have this surgery. Um, I have never been able to um, be as physically active as I would like to. I have not been able to run a half marathon like I've wanted to because of the physical pain associated with having 
very dense, heavy breast tissue. So it's not just necessarily the size, which is um, beyond something that's comfortable. It's also the density of the tissue associated with it. Mm. And most importantly, I trust my doctor. I trust my doctor to tell me that this is something that medically, that is medically necessary. And if I don't have it, it will continue to severely impact my quality of life. Um, and I plan to live a long time. So I would like to start to finally actually be able to enjoy um, enjoy life in a way that I have not yet experienced. Absolutely. And, you know, this is a government that talks a lot about choice. They want to ensure that Albertans have choice in education. They talk about choice in healthcare, being sure that people aren't waiting for necessary surgeries and things that would improve their quality of life. But in your case here now, this is throwing it into a, a great deal of uncertainty. Right. I, I'm amused by the fact that the UCP talks about choice when this is uh, these are recommendations that come down from a boardroom of privileged men to another boardroom of privileged men. There is choice when you have privilege, when you do not have privilege, when you do not have the opportunity to speak up, uh, when you don't have the resources, you no longer have choice. For some women, this is not a met, this is not um, this is not cosmetic. For some women, this is a medical life-saving surgery in both of these instances, in a number of these instances. Um, and it is just wholly unfair to uh, further impact marginalized people. And, you know, I hope to exercise my privilege here to express that. So, yeah, that's definitely something I'm hearing from a lot of folks throughout the system about in the you know, Ernst & Young report in general, the fact that this is a report written by accountants, right, who have one particular view and are really have that eye just on the bottom line, which also seems where perhaps this government is looking, but they're not looking at the real impacts on people like yourself and recognizing that there are indeed all kinds of complexities that are involved in these procedures that have particular effects. Yeah, and, and I appreciate that point from Shannon around the impacts on marginalized women in particular and gender diverse folks. I spoke with a gynecologist, Dr. Fiona Matatal in, in Calgary, and she's fine with me sharing her perspective. She's been uh, she's been quite vocal. And uh, one of the things that she mentioned is that, you know what, if this government is going to move forward with, with defunding these surgeries, they better sure as heck be investing a whole lot more in abor- abortion services. And she said, of course, they're not <laughs> going to be. Um, but, but the issue being that this will really, really impact women who have the least resources, right? And uh, and what are what are they going to be doing? She said they're going to be trying to, I guess, access abortion services. Um, as as Rachel talked about earlier, a lot of a lot of contraceptives contraceptives are are expensive, right? So I worry about those women who don't have a voice and who are going to be impacted. Indeed. So so the health minister, his staff, you know, the, after some of this was been raised on social media and doctors have spoken out about it, they said, well, no, no, no. This is you know this is purely a coincidence. There is no intent here for us to target women specifically. So it's it's not an issue. It's not a question of gender. This is just a question of us trying to find savings for Albertans. Does it make a difference for you or to women whether the minister intended to have this impact on women or not? Um, I think it was intentional. Um, I think that it is wholly unacceptable. And I really don't believe anything that comes out of his mouth unless he puts it in writing. Fair enough. Your thoughts, Jenna? Well, I think that um, it's... It does target women because as someone said, I read before, someone said, women suffer in silence. We just carry on. So if you have a a group of people that you say you're no longer having access to this surgery, you no longer have access to these options, then oftentimes you'll quietly sit back as a woman and say, okay, I'll just deal with whatever I need to deal with. Um, And that does it. It impacts women with... um, 
who are stay-at-home moms, you know, women who have who just don't have access to the necessary insurance and things that would be required. Yeah. And uh, I mean, uh, Rachel just touched on this, too, because she was asked, you know, well, it's you could argue it's not really a gendered issue. And she said, well, you know what, then we look forward to the health minister uh, unequivocally uh, coming out today and stating that he will reject uh, reject this recommendation. And he hasn't. So until then, heck, yes, it's a gendered issue. So so how does this leave you feeling then in terms of the support you have from this government? Um, uh, Well, um, I don't feel supported by this government, and I and I don't. Um, I, I I don't expect that I will. Um, specifically, um, this these cuts um, and cuts to um, other aspects of healthcare, cuts to um, education, are impacting and going to continue to impact those individuals that do not have choice. My son is in a special education program with the um, city um, or with. Edmonton Public, and um, I see children in that school. Um, it is an underfunded, undervalued school that does amazing work. And so, when you continue to take away from those that have less to give to people who already have more, then you will never have my support. I, I can agree more. Um, I, it feels like when. We, when you're growing up in a, in a in a system that you're told you can reach out to your MLA, you'll be heard by your MLA, you'll be represented by your MLA. And um, I don't feel supported or represented. I've reached out to my MLA in Leduc a number of times. Um, on this issue specifically, he's been completely silent. And it, to me, that just is another reason to say we're, we can just ignore you. We don't want to hear about this. We don't want to hear from you. So, you know, one of my concerns, too, is we're talking about the impacts on the front line to to women as patients, indeed. And so we could see some very serious impacts from seeing delisting of these procedures and some of the other plans that this government has for frontline health care. But one of the other things is we have a disproportionate number of women that are working on the front lines in healthcare. So I just saw today there was an article in uh, the Mount, Mountain View Gazette talking with nurses and olds, and they were talking about their concerns about short staffing, the effects that's having, about layoffs potentially on the front lines. Uh, it strikes me that a lot of these changes are having massive impacts for women, not only who are receiving services, but who help provide them. My mother was um, in the hospital for uh, several months um, in the fall and um, early winter and uh, seeing the care that she received from a staff of primarily nurses and nurses assistants um, who were understaffed, uh, underfunded, and frankly exhausted, knowing that they might not have a job, still provided impeccable service. Um, and I think that that speaks to the um, credibility um, and the um, the staffing that has already been um, established within the healthcare system. And it would be a shame to further burden them because those quality people are going to be needed elsewhere. And if they're not appreciated or valued in their own province, they may choose to leave and all of us will be be impacted. Absolutely. It's actually very concerning. Um, A few years ago, I was diagnosed with lymphoma and so spent time in the hospital as, uh, you know, Sorry, spent time in a hospital and um, received chemo treatments. I uh, participated in a drug trial. Um, and I, 
though, you know, some of the head doctors were men, most of the, you know, uh, nurses and um, nurse practitioners, they're, they're all women. You've just got so many women um, running things and they're so knowledgeable. And I mean, I had all of my chemo nurses were female and their, their knowledge and experience, I, I, it scares me thinking of the, the people who are going through treatment right now. If you're taking these women away, what do they have? They, these are life-saving people who it, every single day they're saving lives. And it, this is unacceptable. Yeah. And I mean, you know, David, you and I have sat in this house uh, the last couple of sessions and saw that there continues to be an attack on women from this government, whether or not they, they refuse to acknowledge it. And I mean, the list goes on. I don't have enough time in this this podcast to list the many ways that they've they've attacked women, whether it's, um, re, you know, refusing to support um, child care, uh, whether it's um, attacks on, as, as uh, Shannon and Janet both mentioned, attacks on nurses and, and teachers and, and professions that are predominantly Dominantly women, um, you know, whether it's the absolute uh, dismantling of the status of women ministry, millions and millions cut from a ministry that our government and David, a government that you were part of, uh, you were proud to be a part of, really investing in women and supports for gender, gender diverse folks as well. And so, like I said, the list goes on. And this is just another example of, of an attack on women. I, I have to agree. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't matter what the intention is. What, it, what matters is the actual impact and the result. And it's clear that many of the decisions this government is making are having a disproportionate impact on women. So that that being the case, if you had the opportunity, if you were speaking with uh, with Premier Kenny, if you're speaking with Minister Shandro, what would you like to say, Shannon? Well, uh, taking a deep breath, um, i i would I would ask um, what else they would have expected to happen. Um, as you said, it is not what their intent is; it's what the reality of the message ends up being. And when you continue to cut services that impact predominantly women and their children, you are impacting the very fiber of this province. And I am fairly certain that, uh, the Albertans that voted UCP did not choose to vote in a government that would further slash the vital and necessary um, services of uh, of healthcare and of education. Uh, I just don't understand um, why we need to take from those that already are doing more with less to give to individuals and corporations who are already exorbitantly wealthy and do not need further sponsorship. Absolutely. Jana? I, I think that um, women, just like, just like oil workers, women in women's jobs, in uh, teaching jobs, in nursing jobs, as doctors, as a part of society, uh, I think... I would like to, to say to the, the uh, minister that, you know, in some ways it feels like we've come a long way uh, with women's rights and, and giving women the opportunity to, you know, be equal players. But what these cuts do is it just, it puts up barriers. It puts up, um, it weakens women. Mm-hmm. And therefore you're weakening society because we need each other to grow and uh We need each other, and 
we can't grow together by cutting one part of us down. It just doesn't work. And I, I know lots of women and men who are willing to work together for the betterment of society. But we, we can't do this when it seems like all the advances that we have made have, are just being pulled away, stripped away. It feels like we're falling back in time. Absolutely. So Janice, we're going to be back in the legislature next week. We've got the budget dropping next Thursday. In terms of your work on uh, women's issues, LGBTQ2S+, what are you going to be watching in that budget? Yeah, you know, honestly, I, I'm concerned because, as I noted, there have already been continued uh, cuts on, on the status of women ministry, which includes um, culture and multiculturalism. So I'm uh, I'm anticipating further cuts, which means ba- basically next to nothing left for that ministry. And why that's so important is, I mean, our under our government, status of women, we really, you know, increased uh, supports to women and uh, queer-serving, queer and trans-serving organizations. And so I'm worried about a lot of these folks that are doing great work on the on the ground who um, who will lose funding. Um, so that's one of my concerns as well. And, uh, you know, I just, we've seen continued cuts to healthcare and education. And I think, uh, I think you and I both know that uh, this budget from what we've, from all accounts, what we've heard is, is not going to be pretty. And, and that's going to impact a whole heck of a lot of Albertans. So you, me and the rest of our NDP caucus are certainly going to continue to be, to be speaking out. Yes, indeed. And so thank you, Janice. I really appreciate that you're fighting and speaking out. And Shannon, Jenna, I really want to say thank you to both of you for sharing your stories, for uh, for sharing that personal story and standing up on behalf of women across the province. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, it's always incredibly powerful when we get to hear the stories of real people and the effects of government policy on them. And I can tell you another issue where I've certainly, and I think all of my colleagues, and I think probably most of the government MLAs have been hearing from hundreds and thousands of Albertans is on the question of pensions. Now, what happened is back this fall, uh, so of course, teachers, nurses, all public employees pay into a pension. And they pay the majority into that pension. So they're pay, putting a good bit of their money into retirement savings to plan for when they're no longer working to sort of set them up for retirement. So this is a plan that they have set up. So teachers have had their own uh, plan for, for decades, and they've managed that themselves. They've had control over that. They got to elect their own representatives to, to uh, supervise how that plan was managed and choose who, in fact, what company or organization would manage that portfolio. Uh, When we were in government, we passed legislation giving that same power to other public employees. So nurses and other folks who pay into that system had now what's called self-governance. So they got to elect their own representatives to sit at the table with the other managers that were appointed by government to decide how their pensions would be managed and indeed who the organization would be that would do that management. So... Spring forward to this fall session, all of a sudden, the UCP government introduces Bill 22. And in Bill 22, they seize control of the pensions of teachers and public sector workers across the province of Alberta. So think about this. You've been a teacher for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You've been a nurse working in the public system. You have been paying money out of your personal paycheck every single month, every two weeks towards your retirement. 
you finally have had the opportunity to have some control over how those investments happen. And indeed, both of these organizations were seeing excellent returns with the organizations that they had managing their portfolios. Along comes the government with a piece of legislation that they did not talk about during their campaign. They did not campaign on this. They gave no indication they intended to do this. They seized control of these pension funds. So they passed legislation saying that the government gets to decide who manages it. And the person and the group that's going to manage it is the government entity, AIMCO. No consultation. There was no discussion with any of these workers. There was no conversation about it. And in fact, this government worked to ram this legislation through the legislature as quickly as possible because they didn't want the public seeing it or talking about it. So I can tell you, I've received hundreds of emails from teachers, from nurses, from other public sector workers who are understandably up in arms about the government seizing control, forcing them to change the group that's managing their portfolio, relying on data that many pension experts have pointed out is suspect and problematic and may not, in fact, realize any better returns or any of the savings that the government claims they're going to get in terms of administration. But really, that aside, what this really is about workers' rights and the fact that workers that pay into their pensions should have the right to control their own pensions. So in response to this, my colleague, uh, Christina Gray, she's our uh, critic for labor, she came out this week and announced that she is bringing forward a private member's bill. And what this private member's bill is going to do is it will protect Alberta workers and their pensions by rolling back, basically reversing all of the changes that were made to the public sector pension plans in Bill 22 and giving workers back a say in their pension governance. Hundreds, thousands of Albertans are asking for this. This government is refusing to listen. Christina is going to bring forward a private member's bill to make that change. Another thing in this, You might have heard about the fair deal panels and the government's been going around the province and talking with folks and sort of saying, hey, should we have our own Alberta police force and should we have our own Alberta pension plan? Now, the concern here is, of course, again, every single working Albertan, not just public sector workers, private sector workers pay into the CPP. I I paid into the CPP during my time as a worker. That's money that's held in trust on behalf of all Albertans. And now the Kenny government is musing about talking to people about thinking about seizing control of that money, taking it away from the federal government and putting it in their hands as well. I've heard from a lot of Albertans who are very concerned about that as well about what that might cost, about the risk that might introduce, and indeed just the fact that they do not trust this government to seize control of their pension funds. So Christina has also set up a website, yourpensionisyours.ca. So, so far, I think we've had over 2,000 people that have signed the petition at that website stating that their pension belongs to them. Albertans' pensions belong to them, not to Jason Kenney and the UCP. So you can check that out if you're interested. We're going to play a little bit here now from Christina talking with a couple people who are affected, a teacher and a nurse, and their thoughts on the UCP government seizing control of their pension funds. Hi, I'm Christina Gray. I'm the MLA for Edmonton Melweds. I'm here with Melissa and Tim, and we were just launching uh, the new yourpensionisyours.ca campaign. This session, I'm going to be introducing a private member's bell to do with protecting 
your pension rights. That means making sure that there's joint governance returned, it was taken away last session by the UCP government, and making sure that the UCP government led by Jason Kenney cannot take our CPP. Tim, thank you for being here to help launch the campaign. What got you excited about talking about this issue? Well, you know, you know Christina, quite often I say the same thing, uh, that it took me 35 years to, to build my pension, 35 years of teaching to build my pension, mm -hmm. and that it took the UCP government three days, uh, zero consultation, zero notification to move my pension from where I wanted it to where they wanted it. And I just don't believe that's right. Uh, and that really motivated me to, to get involved with this. No, I think that's an excellent point. Bill 22 last session was an omnibus piece of legislation debated in only three days, and it made sweeping changes to pensions in our province. Melissa, how about you? So for me, um, I was never really involved in politics, but uh, the changes that this government is making has prompted me to get involved. Uh, last fall, myself with my closest 800 colleagues, we were on the steps of the legislature protesting these changes and in an attempt to tell them to keep their hands off our pensions. It's money that we've been working for to put away for our retirement and I think we need to get awareness out there keep your hands off my pension. Absolutely. And please join us at the campaign, yourpensionisyours.ca. Uh, through that, we are going to be sending emails to Minister Travis Taves, the finance minister, uh, making sure that this government understands that this issue is very real to all Albertans affected, the over 440,000 who have public sector pensions, as well as every Albertan who has CPP. So please join us in telling the government that you'd like to see this bill debated in the legislature. So if you'd like to find out a bit more about what's happening on the pension file, uh, Christina actually did a Facebook Live along with uh, Sarah Hoffman, our critic for education, uh, the MLA for Edmonton Glenora. So he did a Facebook Live uh, the other night, and that is up. You can find that on Rachel Notley's Facebook page. So to search for Rachel on Facebook, you can find that Facebook Live where Christina gets a little bit more into the changes around the pensions, the private members legislation she's bringing forward to protect them. And Sarah talks about some education news this week. So continuing our week in recap on the education front, we saw a major announcement from the Minister of Education on funding for schools across the province of Alberta. Now, there was quite a lot of controversy last year uh, as the uh, minister tried to claim that they did not make any cuts to education funding as they had promised in their campaign. But the fact is, we've seen documents released in the last week from the Alberta Teachers Association that they were able to get through freedom of information requests that showed that, in fact, school boards across Alberta have 136 million dollars less this year to educate 13,000 new students. So the government has gone ahead and they've made some changes in the education funding model. We're still teasing out all the details. What we can see so far is that this could have a negative impact on some of the larger schools districts as it doesn't properly track actual enrollment growth, though it may benefit some of the rural districts where they lose students, but then don't necessarily lose funding as quickly as those students disappear. There's still going to be a lot to see here. But one thing that was notable about that press conference is that, again, when reporters questioned the, the, the minister about education funding and pointed out the shortfall that is there in the documents from the ATA, she refused to admit it was the truth. So there's going to be a lot to see in the budget coming up next week about how this is actually going to affect education funding. But one thing we absolutely know is what we've seen from this government is when they're changing things, it's usually because they have something to hide. So we're going to see what happens there. Speaking of which, 
another major announcement that the health minister made just yesterday. Something we've been watching for a while. The Alberta government is tearing up, is blowing up the agreement that they had with physicians across the province. So the Alberta Medical Association represents physicians across the province of Alberta. That's your family doctors, as well as physicians that work in acute care and throughout the system, hospitals, surgeons, whole wide variety of folks. So the government came to the table uh, in September and sort of said, hey, we're going to negotiate with you this fall. So please get ready for that. AMA said, sure, no problem. And then in October, the first step the government takes in sort of setting the tone for that negotiation is to pass legislation saying, by the way, anytime we want to, we're going to allow ourselves the ability to tear up your contract, to just break that agreement with no particular reason. So that's the tone they went into negotiations with doctors with. Then in November, they brought forward 11 proposals that would have massive impacts on physician compensation and their ability to provide support for patients uh, who need complex care. So basically the ability for a doctor to spend more than 10 minutes per patient and indeed still be compensated for spending more time with patients. So there were negotiations that went on for, uh, for a couple of months. We saw mediators brought in. We saw that there seemed to be a real impasse uh, between government and the AMA. Uh, and what we saw on Thursday is uh, that the government decided that they were going to take that option. Rather than continue with mediation, rather than continue with negotiation, they simply tore up the contract and said, we are going to impose absolutely everything that we said we wanted to do. So doctors uh, are understandably concerned. We're seeing a lot of them speak out on social media with their concern about their ability to continue practicing in the province of Alberta, particularly in rural areas. This is going to have, I think, very serious impacts on people's access to primary care, which is one of the most important things that we have to make sure that people are healthy in the community and not having to access more expensive services in the hospital or as they develop chronic diseases or other issues. So we'll have more to talk about that, I'm sure, as we get into the budget next week and we see what this is going to mean in terms of our healthcare spending. But it is deeply troubling at a time that we know the government is preparing to go to the table or is already at the table with nurses and many other frontline healthcare providers in the province of Alberta. All right. So Janice, one of the things we like to do when we have uh, some of our MLAs in on the herd is talk about stuff that's happening in the community. I know Edmonton Highlands, Norwood, pretty active community. Uh, not Absolutely. quite as active maybe as Edmonton City Center, but, but you're, you're close. <laughs> you're close. And I know you have a lot of art stuff that happens there, a lot of art centers, a lot of artists actually that live in your yeah. community. Uh, you got anything coming up in the near future? Oh gosh, there's always so many things going on. And you're right to think Edmonton uh, City Center and uh, Highlands, Norwood share a lot of uh, incredible um, art artists and uh, art uh, art venues and so one of the cool things that's happening is the Skirts of Fire Festival oh, yeah. yeah it's great it's a, it's a festival that celebrates women in the arts mm-hmm. um, and it's in conjunction with International Women's Day which is of course on March 8th and so I'm excited about it traditionally it's actually primarily been around the Alberta Avenue area right. but they've expanded so oh. they're in at Old Strathcona they're going to be downtown as well um, and uh, it goes it runs from uh, February 27th to March 8th with the kickoff on, on the 27th and whole lot of events yeah. and, uh, and really accessible so I encourage anybody to check out Skirts of Fire, Skirts of Fire Festival at uh, skirtsoffire.com. Yeah, that's it's fantastic. I've had a chance to attend the launch for that a few times. One of the cool things with that is they have a, they commission a different artist designer every year to create a, uh, 
basically a, a skirt sort of, but as sort of an art, art uh, an artist conception. So there's been some yeah. really creative, uh, creative ones that I've seen over the years. I'm excited. I actually get to be a celebrity judge uh, <laughs> ah. for the skirt competition. Oh, so fantastic. it's, it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, really, I mean, as you and I both know, uh, Edmonton is absolutely a festival city. And so I think we could talk about a different festival every week here. Indeed. Uh, yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Janice. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it, folks, another edition of The Herd. So we'll be back next week when we'll uh, have, I guess, a lot to talk about. We'll talk about the uh, first week back in the legislature. We'll be talking about the brand new Alberta budget, and we'll uh, have a lot of content for you there. But today, we are going to go out with a, uh, with as we do, with an artist from here in Alberta, from Grand Prairie, a singer-songwriter named Tennille Towns. Now, Tennille was uh, born and raised in Grand Prairie. Uh, she started working on music pretty young. Yeah, it says when uh, other kids were studying Shakespeare in school, she was studying songcraft and some of her favorite songwriters. Her passion for songwriting uh, took her down to Nashville, and she actually landed a deal with Columbia Nashville. She's uh, nominated for some Juno Awards this year for Songwriter of the Year and Breakthrough Artist of the Year. So in keeping with our topic today on women's issues, we got a great song here from Tennille called Somebody's Daughter. So enjoy the music. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week on The Herd. Somebody's die.